Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem. This week on the show, we're exploring Kundalini. Whether it's a practice that you're new to, something you've been doing for a long time, something you stopped doing and started again, something that you stopped for good, something that you took little pieces of, something that you continue to be dedicated to, wherever you fall on the spectrum, I think you'll find today's episode fascinating. And even if you don't practice Kundalini Yoga at all, but practice yoga and are interested in this, uh, I hope to shed a little bit of light by sharing my experience with the practice I've had a couple of years now to process my experience, and I just wanted to share from as neutral a place as possible, but just sharing some, some facts and personal experiences that may be of benefit to you on your spiritual journey. So today on the show, everything Kundalini, right here on Revealing the Diamond. Before we get into the show, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Minds Dye. Thank you, Minds Dye, for everything you do for the show. Minds Dye makes custom-dyed fabrics, anything you can think of. She can do it. She's very talented. She's very uh, gifted at, you know, taking instructions. I have a, for example, I have a duvet cover and some pillowcases that I said I want it to look like a New Mexico uh, sunset that's very specific with some oranges and some blues and some pinks and some gray in there and she did an amazing job when i take a look at the the bed set it looks like a new mexico sunset so i mean does it get any better than that so if you're interested in some really great dyed fabrics please go to mine's dye you can find her on instagram or go to mine's dye in the etsy store and make an order today All right, so today, everything Kundalini. It's going to be an interesting exploration. I have some ideas of what I want to say, and I think we're just going to kind of roll with it and see what comes out. So for those of you who are listening to the show, who maybe are newer listeners and you don't know about my history with uh, Kundalini Yoga, I will share a little bit about it um, just to give it context. Um, in the past, like during the pan pandemic, two years of pandemic and uh, the closing of our center, Dharma Temple, um, I think I was pretty emotional, pretty shocked, pretty depressed <laughs> about the whole experience and, and just uncertain of what to do. Um, so if you listen to those episodes or if you were connected to me in any way during that time, uh, my sincerest apologies if I, if I haven't said it personally. You know, I was going through a lot and it was hard to know um, who I was in relationship to this practice and to this community. And uh, I hope to um, educate and uplift uh, to the best of my ability um, by sharing today's episode. And, and I'll, I'll try not to make it too long either. I definitely want this to go up on the YouTube so that uh, you can watch it. Um, but that's just a little precursor to what we're going to do today. And uh, if you have any questions, let me know. If you want to go deeper in the study, let me know. You can go to tiagoprem.com. I've got a new mentorship program that's going to go deeper into uh, exploring some of what we talked about today and the practices and how they can serve you. So if that speaks to you, go to tiagoprem.com and you'll see on there there's a Sadaka mentorship program and you can apply uh, to do that. If you love the show, please give us a five-star rating, uh, five-star review. Make comments on the, sh on the show. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. And the best way to sh uh, support the show is to tell your friends about it and uh, share it, share it, 
you know, post it on your social media, share it in your yoga centers, share it with your yoga students, your yoga friends, whatever it might be. Okay. All right. So just a little background for those of you who may not have heard me speak too much about uh, yoga or your new listener, we'll do a real quick journey. And the real quick journey is um, I get interested in yoga as a teenager. I'm in my 40s now. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of a troubled youth, street kid kind of thing, get interested in yoga practice, start exploring it, do multiple trainings over the years, um, study academically, university, uh, religious studies with a focus in yoga philosophy. So very intellectual. I'm doing some postures, but really learning more about uh, the philosophy of, of yoga as a practice and Bhagavad Gita and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and looking at different yoga texts, Shiva Samhita, this kind of thing, Garanda Samhita, even for the, and the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Really interested in the intellectual pursuit or the Jnana Yoga, but also doing some physical practices um, and uh, sharing music with the world and, you know, all the things that go along with that, being a DJ, taking drugs, drinking, yada, yada, yada. I'm really whipping through here. Um, uh, eventually, I find myself in a rehab situation um, it takes me several years to get sober. Um, I try all kinds of different things, uh, but at the same time, practicing yoga, eventually I meet my guru. And when I say guru, some people are weirded out by that, but uh, just saying that I become an initiate of a traditional uh, Hatharaj yoga teacher teaching an integrated holistic practice. His name is Sri Dharma Mitra, amazing person uh, and teacher for me in my life. Um, I start doing some practices with him, going to New York as much as I can, my body starts to change, my practice starts to change, and I have a deep embodied experience of all of this book knowledge, not only um, observing it in another person and receiving it in their teachings, but also feeling it in my own personal uh, being, in my body, in my spiritual practice, etc. Uh, we open a Dharma Yoga Vancouver Center, and I'm still drinking. I'm a new father. I'm still going out and DJing because it's good money, and I enjoy playing the music, but it's really hard to balance both uh, parts of my life. I mean, I'm flying through here. This is like 20 years in five minutes, um, but anyways, I come to the <laughs> harsh conclusion that it's time to stop drinking uh, for good, and so uh, around the time I stopped drinking, I meet Guru Singh, who is a well-known uh, Kundalini yoga teacher. He's with Yogi Bhajan most of his life, and uh, he's a musician and very inspiring person. Um, we do some mentoring together. I, through the practice of Aquarian Sadhana, which is what they do in the Kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan world early in the morning, by committing to doing that, I essentially say... I'm going to do this for 90 days and not miss a day. Get up at 3.30 in the morning, do this two and a half hour practice. And in doing that, if I can do it for 90 days without a drink, without missing a day of practice, then I won't have to go to rehab again, essentially. And so I do it. I stick it out. I get sober. It's amazing. We eventually open the Dharma Temple uh, in Vancouver. We build a beautiful community around this practice that I experience so much healing in. I start to study Sikhi and um, as well as Kundalini Yoga. Bunch of things come up. We're going to cover that in today's episode. Bunch of things come up. I'm like, what the heck is this all about? 
And, um, you know, and then the pandemic happens and I don't know if I should continue to practice or not. I get super confused. Um, I process publicly on the podcast on YouTube, yada, yada. Eventually I have to step back from everything, including this podcast, including teaching, including everybody. And, you know, now it's two years later since the, all of the hard times and I'm feeling like I'm in a really good, clear space when it comes to yoga practice and teaching. And so I thought, well, might as well put an episode out where I try and address it from a less emotional space because it was quite emotional in the videos that I made previously. Um, I think they were beneficial, um, but I'm, I, I feel the call now to, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little more, you know, clear and connected to the wisdom within and, and how to address all of this. So there's the, <laughs> there's the really fast version of this. So, and now let's, uh, let's break it up into components, but I just wanted to kind of give you the brief overview and then we'll get into it. So, uh, as I said, I, I practice and study yoga for years and, um, meeting Dharma Mitra really changes my life. Um, and I, 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 my body starts to really change in incredible ways. And the things I'd been learning intellectually and academically about yoga, I'm now having a, an embodied experience doing the practice. But I'm also drinking and partying and neglecting my responsibilities as a leader in community, as well as a leader uh, in my family as a, as a father, essentially, because I have a new baby. And the pressure becomes too much to bear. Instead of leaning into my practice, I lean into the bottle, drinking, partying, etc., and it becomes a major issue. And there's a, a moment of like, you either stop or you lose it all, like a dark night of the soul kind of moment. Around this time, I meet Guru Singh, and as I mentioned in the intro, he's a longtime Kundalini Yoga teacher, practitioner. Actually, he's very closely connected to the American story of yoga in that his great aunt uh, participates in bringing Pramahansa Yogananda from the autobiography of a yogi story, uh, bringing him to the West from India. And then Guru Singh, whose name is Jerry Pond at the time, uh, he grows up in a yoga, a household of yogis. And this is before hippies and all of that. So he grows up in a vegetarian yogic household which is very rare for that time and then you know later on he's got a great book you can read it it's called buried treasures i highly recommend it um, it's not about his time with yogi bhajan but it is about before he meets yogi bhajan very inspiring story and uh, anyhow i meet him and he becomes a mentor to me and uh, helps me to Kind of get my life back by suggesting that I practice Kundalini Yoga. And the interesting thing, even though I didn't listen because <laughs> I'm a rebellious student, the interesting thing is when I met him, I tell him that I'm an initiate of uh, Sri Dharma Mitra, that I have a guru, and he suggests that I continue to do everything that uh, my, my guru, my teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra, had advised me to do, continue to practice in that lineage. And I ignore his advice and pour myself wholly and fully and completely into kundalini yoga and the reason i pour myself wholly and completely and fully into it is that as i mentioned in the intro i have this uh, experience with the early morning practice 
that gives me the structure that I need to maintain sobriety for the longest period of time without being in a treatment center ever in my life. So I do that early morning practice for 90 days, and then I keep going for nine months without missing a day. And so I'm attached to this practice because I'm like, wow, I've never been able to do this before. Now, like Steve Jobs, he talks about how you can connect the dots in hindsight, but you know you can't do it in the present moment. In hindsight, I can see that everything that I did up to Kundalini Yoga also plays a role in that. It's not just the Kundalini Yoga, but you know I'm a passionate person and I'm a dedicated yogi. And you know since the moment I opened the pages of Bhagavan Das's book, "It's Here Now or You," I knew this was my life's path. There's no question about that. Okay. But then how that unfolds, it really depends on your karmas. Things unfold in a way that maybe we don't see. Like we know what we're called to be doing, but we don't know how it's going to happen, I guess. Um, and so I have this profound experience. And so I pour myself fully into the practice. And, um, you know, what I'm told by Kundalini Yoga at the time is that there's this deep connection between... Um, Sikhi or the faith of the Sikh tradition and Kundalini Yoga. And so, you know, I've had this profound experience. And so I want to like, I want to like get really into it and be able to share this so that I can help other people. And the morning prayer that we do, or that I previously did in the uh, Kundalini Yoga tradition is the morning prayer of the Sikhs. It's the morning prayer of Guru Nanak. It's called Japji Saab. And from the moment I heard that prayer, I felt like there's something to this. It's very powerful. I felt the devotion of it. I loved the way that it sounded, and I wanted to learn how to recite that. And, and probably more than anything that I experienced in Kundalini Yoga, that, you know, including, you know, the, the sounds, like they were... I had done a lot of chanting and bhakti yoga and they have satsang and the dharma yoga and so I really enjoy that aspect and obviously Bhagavan Das being my first yoga teacher he's always chanting and this beautiful uh, sacred music and so when I heard you know kundalini yoga chants and when I heard japji sahib and other um sounds, not knowing that they came from Gurbani or the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the uh, sacred text or the 11th Guru of the Sikh tradition. I didn't know where it came from. I just felt really uh, at peace when I would hear these sounds. And so I wanted to learn more. And so I learned for, by ear to recite the Japji Sahib and to read along in the transliteration. And I learned... Um, you know, many techniques and there's all these resources like a website called libraryofteachings.com where you could get all of these different, they call them kriyas in kundalini yoga and the kriyas are prescriptive like this one's for the kidneys, this one's for the liver, this one's for anxiety, this one's for addiction, this one's for yada yada yada. And so I was like, wow, I found this thing. It's really helped to heal me from my addictive tendencies. It has this beautiful devotional element, which I'm passionate about. Uh, and then I had this mentor, Guru Singh, who was like, I saw him and he was being a really good father to his kids. I mean, I wasn't around them all the time, so it's a limited perspective. But he always encouraged me to be a good father and be a good 
uh, parent and leader and you know practice sobriety and also be uh, devoted to uh, my guru and the path that I came to before him. And then I saw him with his grandkids and I thought that's really inspiring. I was really inspired by that. So I tried to spend as much time with him as I could, and I would go down to Seattle for visits. He would invite me to take part in his workshops and teacher trainings, and, and um, eventually I did complete what they call a level one certification in Kundalini Yoga, which, by the way, I was resistant to. Um, funny thing with teacher trainings, like I'm always telling students, if you want to become a teacher, find a teacher and spend as much time with them as you can and then you will become a teacher. Like, that's what you do. Don't worry about the paper and the 200 and the 500 and the Yoga Alliance and all of that. Uh, it's not the point. And so I did that with him, you know. And I tried to spend as much time with him as I could, go to L.A., go to Seattle, be with him when I can. Sometimes he'd come to Vancouver. Um, eventually, the Yoga West in Vancouver, they saw I was around Guru Singh a lot and, and said, you know, what would be really cool is if you did a level one. And I said, I'm not really interested. I just like hanging with Guru Singh. And they said, well, we could, you know, we could give you a reduced rate. And then if you did that, you could even teach here. And it would really be great if you got certified because you could do, um, you know, teach at summer solstice. They have this big gathering called summer solstice in the New Mexico uh, New Mexico desert. And at this point, I haven't gone to that or anything. I just know about it. So they just sort of sweetened the pot and uh, said, you know, do this training. So I did the training. I went through the whole Kundalini Yoga um, level one training, kept studying um, Gurmukhi or the uh, ancient language of the Sikhs, which is, well, it's not ancient. It's like 400 and some years old or something like that, maybe 500 now, uh, somewhere in there, four to 500 years old. And so it depends. I guess ancient's relative, but we'll get to that. So I started to study that and learn the uh, Japji Saib and learn the mantras and learn the and do the morning sadhana and teach the uh, classes. So the, at this point, I'm teaching primarily Kundalini Yoga, a little bit of what I'm doing with Dharma, but I'm kind of on fire for this thing that helped me to get sober. And, and you know, I'm a dedicated yogi, so I want to like learn all the things and how it fits together. And um, and then the beautiful thing is, is that uh, my friends, Andrew Measley, amazing yoga teacher uh, from the Edmonton area, uh, my friend Kelby, who's done a lot of sound uh, with me in Dharma Temple and continues to be this brilliant uh, musician and person sharing sound and yoga together. I'm so grateful for him. And then my other friend, Jeremy, who with his partner at the time, uh, found the Dharma Temple Calgary. So we have a center there. Well, you know, the, this handful of, and, and other people who I meet from other places in the world, as well as some of our community from Vancouver, we go to this men's camp uh, every summer. And the men's camp is really inspiring. Uh, it's the first time I really experience a vulnerability that's, you know, I experience it in, in recovery circles where it's like, you know, you're being open about your life. But I notice in the recovery circles, sometimes it becomes about war stories and and it's just about drugs and alcohol talk where at these men's camps, you know, we're getting up early, we're doing sadhana, we're practicing together, we're talking honestly about our relationships, we're talking honestly about our emotions, we're really going in deep into this experience. And I meet my uh, friend and naturopathic doctor, Dr. Nick Jensen, I become close with Tommy Rosen of Recovery 2.0. Um, 
and, you know, and I also meet Jai Dave, not at the men's camp, but we become friends. So I'm really immersed in this uh, whole experience of Kundalini Yoga. And the reason I bring that up is because the community aspect of it and the brotherhood aspect of it, I, I had never had anything like that before. Mostly what I had had was I'm the teacher, those are the students kind of a thing. I mean, I did have that in New York, but New York was so far away that, I mean, I would be there sometimes to help with the teacher training or I'd be there training myself or I would get to go to class when I could. Um, but, you know, it wasn't all that accessible for me living on the opposite coast. So this was really uh, profound for me, this, this community aspect. And we start to bring this community aspect into Dharma Temple. Um, and people start to have experiences. I mean, we've got these packed rooms full of people doing these powerful practices. Um, and when I say powerful, I mean, it's like rapid, fast breathing, uh, challenging yourself to keep your arms up in the air. It provides me a platform to share spiritual teachings, which I love. You know, I began this practice because I love Alan Watts and I love Ram Dass and I love reasoning and sharing. And, and, and you know, that's kind of what, turned me on to Guru Singh. Um, and, and then my partner SJ is teaching as well, Kundalini Yoga. She, she introduces me to this practice, essentially. And, um, you know, we're, we're kind of like, we're doing, we're doing the like Kundalini by the book a little bit, um, you know, because I'm interested in the, the devotional side, the Sikh side of it, but it's new. I mean, I, it's completely brand new to me. And uh, I don't, it doesn't really resonate so much with me, the dogma that sometimes you get from really dedicated Kundalini practitioners, but there's no denying that without the devotional aspect of the Sikhs, like that's really what is keeping me drawn in more, more so than anything. And then the community sense. And then my partner is really um, resistant to anything that appears to be dogmatic or religious so she just kind of like is like this practice makes me feel good so I'm just going to do it in my own way and, and that's essentially what we we do we build a strong community uh, I eventually do go to summer solstice I meet some lifelong friends there um, it's pretty like yogi bhajan worshipy <laughs> the experience my friend Kelby was with me he was like uh what like why is there like a giant picture of him and you know, like, aren't we all here to do the practice? Like, it shouldn't be so much about him. I know he had that experience. Um, it was wild, you know. Uh, again, the community aspect was amazing. Chanting the Japji was amazing. There's a, a, a group of musicians called Chartikala Jata that, were, you know, they would chant in Gurbani, and I was just mesmerized by that. I went to an incredibly powerful workshop with um, Sanadam Kaur, where she broke down some of the Japji Saib. Um, I got this kara that I continue to wear that says, Ad such jugad such heavy such nanakosi be such on it. You're born infinite, you're infinite your whole life, you're infinite even now, and you'll always be infinite. And, and it continues to be um, a guiding light, a source of light in my life. Um, Simrit is there, so we become friends. Jai Dave, we become friends. Powerful practices, like you know, I would always feel really high and elevated after doing practices with Jai Dave, and I always found his um, insights to be inspiring. Um, also, I'm friends with uh, Guru Jagat at this point, 
I go down to LA and teach and get tattooed and I'm just really immersed in this world and going further and further away from Dharma. My business partner at the Dharma Temple, Sina, continues to share the Dharma yoga and I'm just really, you know, having this immersive experience of this practice that helped me to get sober and was really healing for me. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm in. You know. And so I start growing my hair. I start wearing the turban outside of the class, exploring what would it be like to become um, a, a Sikh who's taken vows. There's strains around that in my relationship, but I'm like, I, I always am kind of like. I don't understand why people put a turban on like in a tradition that is claiming to be related to Sikhi. It's not like it's out of left field or from another place. Like they're chanting from Gurbani uh, and saying, wear a turban so that it holds your head tight and stops you from floating away. And I would tell people that because that's what you're supposed to tell people. But I was always sort of like, I don't understand this. Like maybe you become a Sikh and you choose to wear the turban or you don't. That's, that's kind of what I thought. But it was popular to say like, oh, you know, you don't have to wear white and you don't have to wrap your head, but it might be a good idea as a technology kind of a, a language. And it was all sort of like, I'm not really sure why you're doing this but okay like I trust you that's kind of how uh, there's a lot of that for me like okay I'm not really sure why this works but I trust you because I was having these experiences and when I started to hear whisperings about Yogi Bhajan and some of you know for those of you who don't know Yogi Bhajan is the one who passed this practice I'm describing down and he described it as an ancient practice one that's been, you know, going on for generations, that's been passed down in secret. And he seemed to always have an answer for everything. And I never met the man. I never knew him in person or anything like that. But my my mentor in Guru Singh uh, was with him very closely for many, many years. And so I just sort of trusted Yogi Bhajan via Guru Singh. Does that make sense? Um, but then the deeper I kind of get into my practice, the more I'm, I have questions. And the more questions I have, the answers that I'm getting from the people close to me in this lineage, um, they're just not complete enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, huh, yeah, okay, but there's probably more to it than that, right? Like that's kind of how I how I receive it, and so I start digging around and asking questions and talking to different people and talking to Sikhs that I know and Punjabi Sikhs and uh, I met a Nahung who's been really um, inspiring and a couple of Nahungs, another one from UBC, and just digging around and asking questions and trying to get to the bottom of like. You know, it's like one of the chants in the morning chant, Yogi Bhajan said it was from Patanjali, but as a student and a scholar of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, that's not in there. Like, and being like, wonder what's up with that. And, and here's the thing, just before I unpack that, um, my teacher and guru, uh, Sri Dharma Mitra, 
you know, his teacher didn't teach him very many yoga postures because he just didn't focus on that. And there's different kinds of yogis. But the cool thing is, is my teacher is really honest about that. Like he was like, yeah, he only showed me these postures. He mostly focused on food. Essentially, he was telling people to eat a raw food diet back then and to eat light and to, you know, do the bhakti yoga and and then do some asana to maintain health in the body. But a lot of what he talked about was about food, the teacher of my teacher. Uh, I'm talking about Sri Dharma Mitra. And so he had this incredible capacity to do yoga asanas or to do yoga postures. And so, you know, once he kind of mastered everything that his teacher showed him, he started looking around and learning from other people, learning from Iyengar, learning from Ashtanga Yoga, learning from anything, and then eventually learning Yoga Nidra, but just being really open about that. Like, oh, yeah, you know, my teacher, say my teacher only taught me 11 poses, but in my lifetime, I've mastered 908 poses. Well, where did those 908 poses come from? Or do the math, right? So it's like... Uh, take away 11, 908, take away 11, doesn't really matter, I'm just being silly, but 897, something like that, you know, those all came from my own personal experience and explorations, like, that's honest and transparent, where, like, with the Yogi Bhajan stuff, it was, it would be like, this is from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, no, it isn't, this is an ancient language that has been practiced for thousands of years no it's not it's 500 years old i just looked into it uh you know like stuff like that and then just being like why do we do this like why are we doing a bundle roll why are we jumping up and down why are we and then when i did white tantra which is another practice doing kundalini yoga i thought this is very odd um but again i was blind to it i couldn't connect the dots at the time i was like yeah let's do it and then I just, looking back, I'm like, I don't understand how this relates to yoga practice. Um, but if you have, again, I just want this to be like, as a student of yoga, I just want to be transparent and say, like, it didn't make sense to me. I tried to do it. My friend Kelby tried to be my partner. I was a lousy partner. I had a hard time keeping eye contact. Um, and, and I noticed now that I probably just felt like some part of me was like, this isn't for you. And I was just trying to do it anyways and taking people along with me. And kind of lame, but I don't know. How do you learn, right? So I continued to dig around and look around and try to figure out what was going on. And while I was digging around and looking around, students started to ask me from the community, oh, I've heard that Yogi Bhajan you know, was uh, inappropriate with students and... Uh, know, um, committed multiple accounts of sexual abuse. Can you address this? And I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, I knew I'd heard whisperings. Uh, and and, and interestingly, around this time, I have a relapse in my uh, drinking. After my summer solstice, uh, I really, Anthony Bourdain died. And for whatever reason, I feel really closely connected to him, and that like was really hard for me. I'm not sure why. Like I don't. You, there's very. There's a few celebrities that have died that have had profound impacts on my life, and he's one of them. The other is Kobe Bryant when he passes away. Um, but anyways, 
he passes away and i'm really i come back very confused from the summer solstice uh, experience and i decide you know what i'm going to take a, a, a take off my turban i'll keep my hair long i'll keep doing the kundalini yoga thing but i can drink a little bit like why am i wasting my time doing this practice i'm not getting straight answers like you know i just this rebellious part of me is just like saying no to a lot of what i experienced in kundalini yoga and i have this like psychedelic experience doing the white tantric where i like see yogi bhajan and he tells me that i'm not meant to be a sikh and he'll tell me he'll teach me how to do that like you know could be the desert sun i could be hallucinating could be real i don't really know what to say about that but i come away just being like i'm done and then am i being done i go oh, and i'm gonna have a beer here and there and you know i'm a, i don't like to use the word i'm an alcoholic but i have an uh, allergy to uh, alcohol it makes me spiritually emotionally uh, energetically ill it's not great for my body either and so it's kind of like think about it like this like monday i have one beer tuesday i have two beers wednesday i have three beers thursday i have five beers saturday i have seven and you know like that kind of thing and eventually it's like i know from experience where this thing is going and so I pump the brakes on that and and then I just continue to practice kundalini yoga, share kundalini yoga and ask questions. And it's, you know, the summer after the at the end of the summer after that solstice that we go to uh, with my friends and, and with Guru Singh, it's his 50th solstice. That's why we decide to go. And I met some amazing people and people who continue to teach kundalini yoga and like whatever it is, wherever you're at with all of this like do your thing i'm just sharing my experience and you know i know that this practice did help me there's no question about that i'm just sharing my process because i think a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of all of this and i i think that my experience is beneficial and and just to say, here's what I experienced. Not so much you should or shouldn't do anything. I don't, you do you and listen to, you know, do your research, listen to your body, listen to your inner teacher, listen to, you know, whatever it is that is in your path. This is just me going, here's my experience, okay? Where before, as I said, I was pretty emotional about it. So I'm having this rebellious summer. I have this relapse. I rein it in, but I'm still feeling kind of bitter about, and I don't know why I was bitter. I just was like, I needed a break maybe. And Anthony Bourdain died and I just felt like, fuck it. I'm just going to have some beers and eat some food and listen to some loud rock music. And I just don't want anything to do with turbans and whites and 4 a.m.s and all of that jazz <laughs> you know like that's just where I was at uh, but I love teaching and so I kept teaching but I was in this rebellious space and some of y'all probably were around for that some of you who are listening to this um, but anyhow um, so that summer at the end of the summer when we go to the men's camp that I described that's when uh I asked the question, like, you know, I've had students come to me about this whole thing with Yogi Bhajan, and what's the deal? 
and I asked this publicly in front of everybody and I'm sort of just shuffled along like don't worry about it just keep doing your practice and I don't I don't feel great about it but I go on the advice of my seniors who say don't worry about it just keep sharing so I keep sharing and you know I'm making friends who are great teachers and having opportunities to teach and getting recognition through my podcast and international teaching opportunities and I continue to explore Sikhi and I have this dilemma of like I think I need to either like become a Sikh and embrace the Sikh part of this and let go of the kundalini like put on a turban if you want wear white if you want chant these mantras even though we don't know where they're from like i was kind of like i want the devotional aspect of the sikhs or like i don't want anything at all that was kind of my dilemma i guess and so i made a, a plan to go to uh, punjab um, in India with my dear friends Andrew, Kelby, and Jeremy. And, you know, I'm going to go during Vasaki and I'm going to go to uh, do these 84 steps and reciting the Japji Sahib for 20 hours. And I'm going to go to the Harimandar Sahib, the uh, Golden Temple. And I'm just going to see, like, is this what I'm being called to to live this life as a Sikh? And I actually go to the school that um, Yogi Bhajan started and Guru Singh says he started with him. And to be honest, we have an amazing experience there. It's so cool. Like they're like playing classical Indian music and they're um, doing learning in di different dances and the kids all seem really happy and the campus is really beautiful. Again, it's a limited perspective. I went there for one afternoon. We interviewed the principal. We were treated very well. The place looked looked really cool. So, and I even said to my partner, "Oh, maybe Marley would like to go there when she's older." Well, <laughs> now we look back and go, "Well, probably a good idea. We didn't send her off there. I don't think we could have, anyways. We love her too much to send her off to India as a young kid." But it just seemed cool. Like I was just like, "Wow, this seems cool." Harimandar saw the Golden Temple. Oh my gosh, there's I haven't the devotion there was just unbelievable. Um, the 84 steps was life-changing. Uh, listening to the Gurbani, traveling around Punjab, being in the Himalayas, which is a dream of mine as a boy, and, and with some of my best friends in the whole world. And uh, my friend Bobby, who you know is a dedicated yogi and comes from a Punjabi Sikh background, being with him as well. And then going to uh, Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama is, which is also a dream of mine, and just being like, this is amazing. And then, you know, and while I'm doing this, I'm asking all these questions about Sikhi and trying to see how they relate to Kundalini Yoga. And I just, to this day, I still don't understand how this came about. I mean, my friend Gurjot, Gurjot, if you're listening to this, shout out to Gurjot. When all the stuff came up around Yogi Bhajan, she said, I mean, you know, as upset as I am with Yogi Bhajan for his behavior, the guy had to have been a genius to take the beauty. She comes from a Punjabi Sikh family, and she said to, to take the beauty of Gurbani, the beauty of the devotional music of the Sikhs, and to put it together 
with repetitive movements and breathing, you're going to have an experience. So in some ways, the guy was a genius. And I think, I mean, the way she put that, she's right. But I just had so many questions, and I just couldn't get a straight answer. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried to become a baptized Sikh, but I just couldn't. It, it was too muddy, you know? Like, I kept trying, but it was too muddy. And I kept trying, but it was too muddy. And maybe it just meant it wasn't for me. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, what happens is, is that the... the <laughs> the full picture of the abuse that Yogi Bhajan participated in comes to the surface. And I apologize for any background noise here. We're just going to take a pause here while the bread truck goes by. All right. Okay, we're back. Sometimes things are loud here in Mexico. Um, so anyways... Yeah, I'm really confused. I'm deeply moved by the Sikh tradition. I love it. I Still to this day, I think it is one of the most beautiful, inspiring traditions I've ever had the opportunity to be close to. And like any you know, human thing, it, there's issues. But my experiences were just amazing. My experiences with the Nahangs, my experiences... Even with the 3HO community and the um, Chardi Jata and learning the Japji Saab, and I took Gurmukhi lessons with my friend Gurjot, and I just was really moved by the Gurus and the Sikh faith. But I just, I couldn't figure out like how these things fit together. I tried, I tried to explain them, I tried to teach them, I tried to just share what was told to me, but I kept coming up against all of these things that didn't align. And then I kept hearing from Punjabi Sikh friends that like what was being shared in the Kundalini Yoga was harmful to their their families and to their faith. And I was just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to participate in that. Like I just want to do this practice that, but I just can't understand how it fits together. But there are elements of it that I like, but then there are th there's things that are really confusing. And some of the chants are, you know, so it was a big mess. And then while I'm having all this dilemma, everything about Yogi Bhajan comes to the surface. And it is like, Google it if you want to. I mean, I'm not going to get into the fullness of it, but I have friends that I know in person who were directly impacted as minors by his behavior. Um, and then how many accounts came forward uh, it is just appalling and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And, and, you know, if people say, well, are you able to separate the teacher from the teachings? And the challenge for me is that there was so much muddiness in the teachings that I didn't even know how to do that. Does that make sense? It's like where the mantras from, uh, came from were not always upfront and, and transparent. Where the techniques came from wasn't transparent and upfront. What the techniques do were not transparent and upfront. Um, really popular teachers denying the abuses of Yogi Bhajan, denying the um, victims and saying it's all made up. Um, and then, you know, like the teachings just aren't clear. Where does this come from? There's no transparency. And, and then so uh, there's all this muddiness and then all of this violent behavior is coming to the surface. It's like, how? what am I supposed to do? I'm already feeling confused and uncertain. Does that make sense? Um, 
And so, like, I just try to keep going. And then, you know, you've got to talk to your community about everything that's happened. And you got to face it yourself. Like, can I keep doing this? Can I keep sharing this? It was hard for me. And I know other people, it wasn't hard. They just kept going. Or maybe it wasn't. They didn't show it. They just took that devotional path. They're like, this is my path. I'm going to keep going. And that's, I respect that. Like, do, do you. But it was really hard for me. And I was, you know, trying to be a support to students, trying to be a support to people who were training with us. And I was just like, oh, spinning. I was spinning out of control. And then while this is all going on, the pandemic happens and we've got to close the centers. And then I'm not teaching, but I'm trying to teach and online. And but I don't want to do the Kundalini yoga, but I love the Sikh, Sikh aspects. But I don't know if I'm called to take vows as a Sikh and you know, and I'm depressed because I'm not in community and I don't feel like getting out of bed. And thank God I moved into a house where like my friends, Aaron and Sean are there and they're really supportive of me and I fumble all around. And, um, you know, it's a really hard time for me in my life. Now, thank God I don't start drinking again. Thank God for that. I'm so thankful for that. But I'm really confused and I'm angry for a while. I make a bunch of YouTube episodes about how angry I am at Yogi Bhajan and 3HO and even my mentor, Guru Singh. And then eventually, you know, I kind of get past the anger, but I don't know what to do. And I, I flirt a bit with doing some of the Dharma practice and I flirt a bit with doing maybe doing something with my business partner on Salt Spring and I flirt a bit with keeping doing Kundalini Yoga and I flirt a bit with going back to Sikhi and I'm just like... Who am I? Like major dark night of the soul. Four friends die, including Guru Jagat, which is like, what? Who was one of the people who was adamant that Yogi Bhajan didn't do anything wrong and was supportive of me in my early times of becoming a popular Kundalini Yoga teacher, and I'm grateful for that. She's my age. Like she's like my sister, you know, like and I didn't agree with everything that she said, and I still don't. But I, you know, it makes me really sad that. She passed. My other friend from uh, met two friends that were very dear brothers from the men's camp that I went to. They both passed. It was heavy, and I felt like every time I tried to start again, I couldn't. And every day I was just waiting for something terrible to happen to me. That's how I felt. And I just had to like go away from the practice, like really go away. And it brought me to tears so many times. And y'all probably heard me uh, cry about it <laughs> in previous episodes. Uh, but it was really hard. And then, you know, when, when things started to, you know, li lighten a little bit or clear a little bit where we could travel and... And, you know, we really missed going to Thailand. We love Thailand. and I love India. And, and we weren't able to go, but we wanted to be somewhere warm. And so, you know, when I left Vancouver, um, I decided I was going to get back into uh, doing a yoga practice. And I want to break that down, but let's take a little break here. We'll be right back. I want to let you all know about a program that I have coming up 
There's an online version. It starts at the end of May. And then there's an in-person version right here in San Pancho, Mexico. It's called Sadaka Teacher Mentor Program. This is a great way to go deep into the study of yoga. We're going to cover ethics. We're going to cover routine and ritual. We're going to cover asana, hatha yoga, how it works. We're going to cover pranayama. We're going to cover pratyahara. We're going to cover many meditation techniques. We're going to cover yoga philosophy. We're going to cover sadhana and how to make this a lifestyle for healing for yourself. This program is for people who are already teaching yoga or have gone away from their practice. They're ready to get back into it. Or if you're new and you're keen, then you can join too. So if this is something that speaks to you, please go to tiagaprem.com and check out the mentorship tab and apply today. All right. So I was saying when we decided that we were going to leave and go somewhere warm, I was ready to do a yoga practice. Now, I want to just sort of loop back here because there's an, a key element that I need to share with you. So while I'm really confused about all of this, I go, you know what? It's too much. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm not called to to become a, uh, take vows as a Sikh in this life. That's clear. It's causing a lot of mental dilemma for me, especially because of how I learn about it is so murky, like the Kundalini Yoga and its relationship to Sikhi is so murky. My devotion is honest, um, but the way the lineage that I learn about it through is so convoluted that I just can't figure out who I am in relationship to it. And so I've decided I'm gonna let it go and that I'm gonna let the kundalini yoga practice go, and I'm gonna cut my hair, and I'm gonna stop using my spiritual name, and on my 40th birthday, I did cut my hair off, okay? And so while I'm trying to figure out like who am I and what to do with all of this, I find out that that Yogi Bhajan, because I'm like digging into like, why, where did he get the stuff? Did he make it up? Where did it come from? What's the benefit? Is it all just hyperventilating? Like, what's the deal? And in my, <laughs> in my investigative reporting, uh, I find out about this guy named uh, Reinhard Gamenthaler, German guy. And I find out that he was a student of Yogi Bhajan claims to have two teachers. One teacher is a, a Sikh mystic, and that's where the long chant that you do in Kundalini Yoga comes from. Ek Onkar Sat Nam Siri Wa Guru, that one. Um, you, you don't see it in Gurbani, apparently. You don't see it in Gurbani in that organized fashion. And apparently this teacher, the Sikh mystic of Yogi Bhajan's, uh, he only taught that. He taught that mantra because he said he, you know, it had healing power if the sounds and the words were arranged in that way. And he had a whole ashram and people who would come to him and experience healing by doing that chant. So that's one of Yogi Bhajan's sources in the lineage. Okay. And then the other is this guy, Durendra Brahmachari. And Durendra Brahmachari is a uh, Hatha Yogi master and ascetic practitioner. And, uh, you know, he's quite popular, actually. And I find out that Yogi Bhajan goes to a handful of classes with him. And he doesn't even know him when he's asked about it. 
this is from my own research. And um, and then he he claims when he comes to the United States that this is his teacher and he learned so much from him and they even like put his sandals on display in the early days and he's revered as this great teacher. And then as time passes into the 70s, 80s, you know, 90s, it's like he didn't exist. Yogi Bhajan stops talking about him. So I'm like, okay, well, what did he learn from him? Yeah, sure, he, he wasn't that dedicated of a, of a student, even though his stories say he was this incredibly uh, dedicated student, but the teacher didn't really know him, and uh, which I found odd, you know, especially somebody who's a dedicated practitioner. Even, despite my rebellious ways, I still, you know... I want to tell people the truth about how much time I spent studying with all of these great teachers I've known in my life. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, so what did Durendra Brahmachari teach then? Because I want to know, like, if the Kundalini Yoga that we're doing with Yogi Bhajan, people will say, like, oh, it works. Okay, great. What does it do? Oh, it makes me feel energized, does this, that, and that. Okay, does it meet the prescriptions that the Kriyas are giving? Not in my experience. Does it make me feel elevated from doing the rapid breathing? Yes. Are some of the movements beneficial for like keeping the body strong and flexible? Yes. Some of the basic moments, uh, movements I continue to do. But there's all this weird stuff around it. Like it does this and it does that. And now you do this and now you... And we could do a whole episode of like, why do you do this in Kundalini Yoga? <laughs> and if you want to know some of those things, you know, maybe we'll... we'll I'll do that episode with SJ or something. So, you know, just, just didn't make sense. And then, like, how does Sikhi relate to these practices? It also doesn't make sense. There is yoga connected to Sikhi, like uh, Baba Siri Chand, who is the son of Guru Nanak. He becomes this ascetic, and there's a, a lineage of ascetic yogis called the Udasis. But, you know, by contemporary Orthodox Sikh standards, they kind of frown on, on those practices. And maybe even Guru Nanak does too. I mean, we'd have to ask a, a scholar about that, but it's not, it's not what it's been presented to be. It's not this thing that comes down through the, the lineage in that way. From my limited scope of understanding, I can't get a clear answer on it. And some people say, well, that's because it wasn't written down. Well, this is something that's 500 years old. This is when Hatha Yoga starts getting written down. Uh, it doesn't seem like it should be so obscure. It's not like we're talking thousands of years here. But, you know, <laughs> I, I digress. Um, so I start digging around and I go, I want to know, like, what is this Kundalini Yoga? Is it even called that? And, and if so, what was he actually teaching that Yogi Bhajan cherry-picked a couple of things and then passed along. Then I find out that this guy, Reinhard Gamendaler, is the only surviving Western student of Durendra Brahmachari, and that he's written a book called Kundalini Yoga Parampara. And I'm like, oh, great, so I'm going to get the book. So I order the book. You can't get it on Amazon. I have to get it from some bookstore in the UK. It ends up being like 70 US dollars or something to get the book. It's expensive, like as far as a book goes, but I'm excited to get it. And so I get the book. It's really like right up my alley. The guy's covered in tattoos, like from head to toe. You know, just his face, no tattoos. Uh, he's got a white beard. He looks amazing. Not that it's all about how you look, but he looks like somebody I want to hang out with. 
And uh, I'm like, okay, great. And I'm going to crack this open. And here's where we're going to find, you know, the ego eradicator and where that came from. And here's where we're going to find the, um, you know, white tantric yoga and where it came from and, you know, or whatever. And, or, or the Wayanti, the secret Patanjali, uh, you know, all these things that I've been told about. And, and the hilarious thing, the cosmic joke is when I open the book, it looks exactly like the yoga that I practice with Sri Dharma Mitra, my guru. The sun salutations look the same. The postures look the same. The techniques look the same. It's almost like this guy, uh, Reinhard Gametaller, has spent his life studying with Dharma Mitra. And I just laugh. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious to me. <laughs> you know, it's like a cosmic joke, like the guru being like, here we are again, haha, <laughs> you know, we meet again. Um, and so that book has been really helpful for me, you know, along, and then I've started, so when I decide to start practicing again before we go to, to um, Costa Rica, I'm looking at everything I learned from Dharma, I'm just like ready to introduce these practices back into my life, and I'm, I read this book from Reinhard Gamenthaler from cover to cover, and I'm like, okay, this has been a hard two years, all the death, death of Dharma Temple, death of friends, um, you know, letting go of Sikhi, because every time I would hear Gurbani, like, I, it would be triggering for me because of Yogi Bhajan. And I couldn't do the practice like Kundalini Yoga because it was triggering for me. It made me feel like those feelings of betrayal and confusion and depression. And that's, I don't want my yoga practice to feel like that. So I let it go and I decided, okay, when I get to Costa Rica, I'm going to get back into the Dharma yoga practice, what I learned from Dharma. It's going to be amazing. I felt really good in those days, strong, flexible. So I get there and I'm just going to, you know, eat fruit and beans and rice and, and get lean again and, you know, get bendy and flexible again. And But no, I don't want any mantras or anything. Like, no mantras, please. Like, I can't do any mantras. Not from any tradition. Like, just the physical practice. Let's get light again in the body. And I get there, and I'm just, you know making some some progress and practicing and starting to feel good. And then that's when I get really sick. And I get so sick that I can't do anything. And I get so sick that I think I might even die. This happens over weeks. I lose 25 pounds. It's intense. And you know, to get back, I start, one of the things is I, I'm really open about how sick I am with this uh, men's group that I have in WhatsApp of people from men's camp in Kundalini Yoga, including Guru Singh, and everybody is very supportive of me, and my notes and prayers from them really help me get better. And I start listening to the Japji Sahib in the morning when I wake up, even though I'm in bed all day because I can't get up and walk around. I'm so weak and my cough is so bad. I'm bedridden. But what starts to turn things around is I start listening to Japji in the morning. I start listening to praise and worship music from the Christian tradition. And I start working on my lung capacity. Like I could not hold my breath for longer than five or six seconds. And as somebody who's a longtime pranayama practitioner, yeah, that's shocking. So I just, that's what I got. That's what I work with. And I listen to devotional music. And then as I start to recover and get better, 
with the advice of uh, my friend Dr. Nick, giving me some tips. I started to get healthier. Eventually, I can get out of bed. Eventually, it comes time to leave Costa Rica. I'm going to go stay with some family in Panama. And then I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to eat whatever, try and gain my weight back. I'm not going to have any rules. I'm not going to have any rules about practice or anything. I'm just going to try to get healthy, move my body a little bit, keep doing the Japji. And then I get to Mexico and, uh, you know, I'm feeling like a new person. Like that old part of me, all that bullshit that I experienced, you know, over that two years of the pandemic has passed away. And then I'm ready to do my morning sadhana again. And I'm, uh, and I'm listening to devotional music, whether it's from the Sikh tradition or the Christian tradition or the mantras that I learned from Dharma. And then I start reconnecting with some of my friends and family from the Dharma community, people like Yoshio, Yancey, people like Ambra, People like, you know, lots of different folks, including Sina, including other friends that uh, like um, Engel, like just people who are really there rooting for me, Peter Elmis. And uh, I'm getting back, you know, into my asanas. I meet a friend here who teaches rocket yoga, who, who had similar challenges around what happened in the Shivananda lineage. And I start listening to yoga podcasts, keen on yoga podcasts. I really like that one reading the work of James Mallinson, doing dar- doing what I learned from Dharma. My friend, uh, Peter, he brought me the Kundalini Yoga book down. He said, like, you know, I, I can't bring much, but what if I could bring two books, what would you want? And I was like, Kundalini Yoga Parampara, Dharma Mitra Yoga uh, Manual. And then I just started getting back into the practice. And now I'm doing this practice that I did with Dharma. That's the actual Kundalini Yoga practice that uh, Dharendra Brahmachari taught that Yogi Bhajan experienced. And, and I'm still, you know, putting a little bit of that Sikh devotion in, but doing my best to be respectful. And it feels amazing. I feel amazing. I feel strong. I feel clear. And, and then I look out in the world and I see people who, you know, still doing these techniques from Kundalini Yoga. And I just want to be clear, the purpose of me doing this episode is if that makes you feel good, if that makes you feel strong, if that's healing for you, I, that's what I want for you. And if you start to question, like, where does this come from? What's the deal with this? What's the history behind this? What, the, you know, is this actually an ancient practice? What's like, hit me up. I'd love to share with you what I learned along the way. Like if you have a dilemma around all of this, you know, if you experienced abuse from Yogi Bhajan, I really feel for you. And I'm grateful that I didn't know him actually as a person because it's made it a little bit easier and it's been really fucking hard for me. Um, but there's no reason for for anybody who experienced abuse like that to be silenced or told that they're making it up or anything like that. Like, it's real. It happened. It's awful. We need to hear these people out. And then where do we go from there? I mean, everyone's going to have a different uh, response. And my particular response is, here's the thing. Here's my particular response in conclusion. Um, Number one, the devotion of the Sikhs like the Gurbani and the sounds and the Japji Sahib, I'm so grateful for that. And I want to honor that in any way that I possibly can. Even as a non-Amrit uh, Dari Sikh, I, I haven't taken Amrit. I did not grow up in the tradition. 
but that tradition helped to heal me, especially the sounds, especially my relationship to Guru Nanak and learning about Sikhi. Forever grateful. I will. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'll cause harm, but I'm going to do everything I can to uplift and elevate Sikhs and the Sikh faith. Okay. The next thing, the structure of a daily morning sadhana that I learned from Kundalini Yoga is what changed my life. And you could put other things in there than what they say. And we taught students at a Dharma temple. But the actual structure of a daily morning sadhana, that for me was like life-changing. And, and I continue to go back to that. Even when I was recovering from the sickness, you know, what do you do? First thing in the morning, Japji Sab, do your pranayama. That's what I can do. Okay, great. Do it for a while. And then eventually as I do it, it becomes something else. And there's a little more and I can add a little more. And then it becomes this beautiful relationship. God, Guru, and self merging as one. So number one, honor the devotional practice of the Sikhs. Number two, morning sadhana. The structure of morning sadhana is your friend. Okay. Number three, community. I'm so thankful for my community that I met through doing this practice. People from all over the world. Sikhs, non-Sikhs, people who you know are great teachers, people who I agreed with, disagreed with. It's a... <laughs> That whole lineage is messy, but the people connected to it, I met some of the most kind, caring, compassionate, courageous, creative people that I've ever met in my entire life through this practice, and I will always be grateful for that. And then the last thing is, is people say, oh, well, do you still do the practice? I do a handful of basic exercises in the morning because I do my asana. My teacher, uh, Sri Dharma Mitra, he recommends that you do the deeper asanas later in the day. That really works for my body. But I still get up in the morning. I study the scriptures. I do some basic exercises like spinal flexes, spinal twists, um, put taking the legs out wide, you know. These kind of ones, you take the legs out wide and you inhale at center, exhale down to the left, inhale center, exhale down to the right. Like when I'm feeling stiff in the morning, I'm not doing the splits yet. I like to do that later on in the day. Um, you know, and so just doing some of those basic, simple warm-up movements from Kundalini Yoga that I learned from Kundalini Yoga, they really help open up my body. And that's about it. So that's what I continue to carry forward beyond that i'm i've released i cut my hair i let yogi budging go um i let that practice go if you want to keep doing it practicing it do your thing um for me finding out you know what drender brahmacharya actually taught i was like yep that's it that's that's what's in it for me but you may have had a different experience and um Whatever is healing and medicine for you, I hope you continue to do that and share that. And, and I know it's not an easy process. It's a long road. But I finally have peace around that. And um, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. I love you all so much. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have questions, please hit me up, Tiago Prem at tiagoprem.com. If you love the show, share it with your friends. Get signed up for the Sadaka Teacher Mentor Program. That's where you can learn, essentially, what Yogi Bhajan learned in his handful of classes. 
if you want resources on Sikki and how to really go deeper into that uh, practice, which for me is the essence of what is transformative in what Yogi Bhajan called Kundalini Yoga, um, you can reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with some of the incredible Sikh teachers and organizations that I've had relationship with uh, over this time. Um, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Lots of love, everyone. And uh, I hope this is helpful in some way to you on your journey. This is Tiago Prem. Oh, before I say that, because I just said my spiritual name, you know, my spiritual name, it's interesting because I was, I did get this name from my time in Kundalini Yoga and, and Dharma Mitra gave me a spiritual name as well. And he said, keep this private. And of course, rebellious student, I did not keep it private. And uh, eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to honor my teacher's request. So I'm keeping that name for myself. But Tiaga Prem, the interesting thing here is like when I would tell people my name, you know, these are Sanskrit words. They're not Gurmukhi. And people would say like, oh, you don't have Gurmukhi words. Well, it's, it must, they must be for a reason. Because Tiaga is a form of renunciation that Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita. And that form of renunciation is to only keep what is necessary. You know, not sannyasa, like full renunciation, but only keep what's necessary. And the word prem or prem means love. And when I hear those words, it's like only keep what there can be love in it. And that was some of my process in Kundalini Yoga, where it was like, I don't understand why we do it that way. I don't understand how people could cover up Yogi Bhajan's actions. I don't understand why he said this was ancient. I don't understand why he said this was in this text and it's not. I don't under. And all of that confusion, I couldn't put love in that. When I sat in front of the room and, and shared from the heart my experiences, I could put love in that. When I helped people in recovery and gave them sadhanas to support them in their getting clean and sober, I could put love in that. So there were elements of it that I could put love in. And I kept clinging to the stuff that I couldn't put love in. And my name, my namesake is actually saying, let go of that stuff. If you can't put love in it, let go of it. And so embracing that name is a reminder to not just look at the good and throw away the bad, but to actually go, all of that harmful, confusing, icky stuff that you experienced in Kundalini Yoga was an opportunity to learn what it means to practice Tiaga in the name of Prem. Tiaga Prem. Ah, good place to end, huh? All right, I love you all so much. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.